everybody, and welcome to Tales from the Fog. I'm your host, Casey, and with me, as always, is the amazing and wonderful and awesome Veronica. How are you doing? Hey, everybody. Hey, Casey. Hi. Doing good. Yeah. Just a little a little stressed out, but I'm okay. Why are you stressed out? Uh, so there's this thing coming up next weekend that always seemed really far away until <clears throat> suddenly it seemed like it was really close. And um, we talk about Ninja a lot. And we were talking about World Finals for a while, and then we stopped talking about it because it seemed so far away. Well, that's next week, and um, I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah, I what, mean, like, what's scary about it? Um, the overwhelming sense of preparation that goes into two minutes of life. Yeah, that seems absurd to me. I think maybe. I mean. <clears throat> I guess I could talk from my standpoint of being competitive, like snowboarder and and BMX and stuff. Uh, I got way more chances. So while while I did a lot of preparation, in a lot of those events, you get two or three chances to perform at your best possible ability. Mm-hmm. At Ninja, it's like you get one shot. One. And if you mess up in two seconds... All that preparation was for two seconds. Yep. You know, and and so it's a re- it is quite a different mentality you have to get yourself into. You have to be operating at your peak level immediately. Yeah. And that's why you train so hard, and that's why the people who do as well as they do, it shows because they it, they've already taken those attempts. But sometimes those attempts are weeks in between each other, months in between. You know, if it's the TV show, it's a full year in between. Yeah. You know, until you can get redemption. Um, Being so new to this sport, I'm not prepared for that. Like, that, I just don't have the the history. I don't have that experience of what it feels like to be on a really big stage in front of a lot of people and fall on obstacle one. I will find out, but (laughs) I don't have it yet. So it's more like the fear of the unknown more than it is fear of the actual event. And from what I'm reading about it, it's not going to be awful. It's not going to be one where they're intentionally trying to to weed out the riffraff on on obstacle one. It seems like it's going to be more for everybody. But once you get towards the end of stage one, it's like (laughs) it's very much only the people who deserve to be here will be here. Yeah, so and they're, like they're going to progress the obstacles really well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really not fun to train for any amount of time and fall on obstacle one. Yeah. We saw it in, on the TV show last year where we had year years veterans, and they would just, they just fell. Yeah. On an obstacle they'd never seen before. Like, that kind of is a punch in the dick. Because there are people that have been like a staple on the TV show that would go all the way to like the finals in Vegas, and they were out. And they were out. Yeah. And they'll say, well, that's Ninja. And like, well, it also sucks. (laughs) But I mean, that is very much the way the sport is. Like you, you just go and a lot of it from what I've learned uh, is some of it is luck. Yeah, it is. (laughs) You know, but the more experienced you are, the more quote unquote luck you have. The more body awareness you have, the more you start to understand how the obstacles work. And once you start to understand how they work, you can kind of figure out, even though you've never done the obstacle, you can kind of figure out how you should approach it. And that just comes with experience. Well, that's interesting. Segue into something that I wanted to talk to you about, which is um, Ninja Warrior 
the TV show has a production company that builds all of their obstacles. And in building the obstacles, they need to be tested by humans. And we signed on to be um, some of these guinea pigs to test these obstacles. And you had the opportunity to actually get started on that project. Yeah, it was... uh... Talk about intimidation, right? Uh, that's that's like being thrown into the fire because um, I, I, it is NDA'd, so I can't tell you what the obstacles were. I can't tell you where the location of the warehouse is. I can't tell you the names of the people involved. All I can say is that I went uh, to a secret location because they purposely keep it secret mm-hmm. uh, because they don't want people sneaking over there and trying to get a look at what obstacles they're building ahead of time and be careful because there's a guard doggy there now yeah there is a guard doggy very cute one but (laughs) you know um and so yeah i got invited i went out and uh there was probably about 10 of us that did all the obstacles uh i think we had they had seven set up for the new season and these are all obstacles that have never been seen or done before and so they were very explicit when we came in and we had to like obviously sign waivers and all that stuff and uh and they were very explicit saying that nobody has ever attempted these obstacles you guys are the very first people they're like you're probably gonna fall just be prepared you know have your you know hopefully like i think everybody there pretty much had like fall training in some way um because they didn't even know if the obstacles were going to work like that's that's the point where they were at and so what we would do is we would work an obstacle uh we would talk with the producers and the designers of the obstacle and we'd say let's try like moving this a couple inches this way let's try making this like let's add tension to this let's you know whatever it was and we'd work on it until we got to the point where like 90 percent of everybody was able to complete the obstacle Once we got to that point, the producers would then say, okay, now we need to start figuring out what the rules are going to be because we would just do it the way that was the easiest way to do it. Like the concept, we'd we'd look at it and be like, okay, this is like the easiest potential way to do this, so let's all try it. And we would do it. And then they'd start adding in rules or modifying the obstacle to make it a little more difficult. And the idea was, from a producer's standpoint, they want good TV. Mm-hmm. So they want it to be, they want the obstacles to be right on the line of, if, you've, if you're one of the newer people, I mean, you're going to like, like if you watch the TV show, you know people are like flying in, like barely making it, like sliding across stuff, whatever. Like that makes good TV, it's drama. Um, and then the ninjas that are really good, you'll see them crush it. And then if somebody fails on it, it's a really spectacular fail. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's where they want to get the obstacle. So once we have it dialed in and everybody can do it, then we start making it harder and harder until maybe like three or four people could make it and everybody else is falling spectacularly. (laughs) (laughs) And then the producers and the designers and everybody's happy. Um, One thing that was cool that they didn't even tell us was going to happen is when we showed up to sign the waiver, there was a second waiver for the actual TV show production. They had the TV show uh, production team there, like the film crew, and they were filming. So it, it seems like they're working on a segment either for the show or for 
a web series or something about how they design, build, and test all these obstacles. So you may get to see me fall spectacularly uh, <laughs> on TV. Yeah, I mean, it's good content. All of the, the making of anything, especially in today's way that we consume media, is awesome content to have. So the fact that they were they did have like a B crew there is, I think, is super smart. And I hope that they do something with it. And they could have been just reference for them when they go to build more obstacles, how people were falling, just to document what was going on. Yeah. But I love yeah. the idea that maybe it's going to be edited into a segment. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That makes me pretty happy. Um, and the other cool thing is we're both invited to, when they build the city um, preliminary and final stage on the back lot of Universal Studios, we're both invited to go and test the entire obstacle course from start to finish. Yes, and they go, um, they do obstacle by obstacle, and then they also do full runs from the beginning. Yeah. And a lot of times, this is really cool, you'll see contestants who didn't make it onto the show, but went all the way through their six obstacles, and they make it through like five of them. Yeah. Or four of them. And then the next year, they end up on the show, because they've proven that they can, they, you know, they have the ability to do this, and then, you know... They have that extra level of investment, and they know how the show works mm-hmm. and the process. And knowing all that stuff is really helpful. Yeah, and I, I'll say it—it's like a whole nother animal, you know, because we've gone to like M Lab, and you've competed in the the National Ninja League and well, Rec League. But, well, the yeah. Rec League, but yeah. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see what the obstacles are like for you at the World Finals, but going in and seeing these obstacles and how massive they are. Mm-hmm. and how intimidating some of the concepts and things are. And now, I don't know where in the stages, like I could have been working on stuff that's going to be like stage three finals, you know, in Vegas. Like I don't know where these obstacles are going to end up as yeah. far as um, like how hard they are and where they fit within the, the ninja lineup. Yeah. Um, but man, you look at some of these and you're just like, I I don't even know if I could do that. I don't even know. Like, I'm not even sure I want to do that. <laughs> like, they were, they were like scary. Like, they were intimidating. Um, I think that the one of the differences, there are many, between the show and National Ninja League and Wolfpack and the other ninja circuits that exist is the show is intended to bring everybody in. They want everybody to watch, so they need to make it really big and really high contrast and really spectacular when people fall and spectacular when they make it. But when it comes to National Ninja League, they just want to see that you have the technical skill and the strength and the endurance and the agility to make it from point A to point B. They want them to be challenging, but it really is more of a, it's testing you as an athlete more than it's putting you on a stage to perform for everybody. Yeah. So these obstacles that I face will probably not be as big as they are. Also, those things take up a lot of space, and we have to exist in a certain amount of space. There are going to be six different courses at Nationals, and all of them are running all the way from the six-year-olds up to, you know, the 55-year-old people who are competing. Yeah. So we're all on different courses. They're all going at the same time. They all have to fit in a certain spot. That's true. So nothing's going to be gigantic. Will they be intimidating? Oh, I'm sure they will be. But they're also going to be stuff that it, I'm sure takes more precision. You know, like you probably can't throttle down 100% on everything because that's not what they're designed for. Yeah. So, you know, it, 
Is it as cool as the archer steps where you're running and you're flying through the air and you grab a rope and you swing to the other side? Probably not as spectacular as that, but there could be something that's smaller but way more technical mm-hmm. that takes the same muscle groups and the same agility and the same balance, grip strength, like all the things that, that go into into ninja as a sport. Yeah. You know, those will all be there. And the guy who's hosting and who I think does either designed himself or had a hand in designing all of these is Drew Dreschel, who won first place last year. Yeah. And the guy's brain is incredible. He's so his brain works like yours. I think <laughs> you guys are very similar in that regard. We're yeah. like hyper focused at times, but then also you've got like fifty screens playing at once. And you have to try to negotiate which screen you want to talk about. <laughs> like I think he rolls in that way. So that that means that this is going to be a very entertaining and a very technical and complex event for yeah. everybody. But I think because of the team that he's built around him and because of the way he thinks of things, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be things that have been thought about that no one else would even consider. And I could tell these things by all the correspondences I'm getting from NNL about the event about all these, you know, peripheral things. It is a big honking deal. Yeah. It is not just like a let's go for the weekend and well, play on like, some obstacles. From what I understand, it's like legit world finals. Like they have people come from across the pond and mm-hmm. stuff to compete. There was a competition already for world stage athletes. And the ones who did, I don't remember what the parameters were, if they had to finish that course or what they had to do. But yeah. there will be international athletes at I wonder if any of the ones that were on uh, Ninja uh, American Ninja versus the World. Oh, USA there. versus the World. Yeah. Maybe. The, the girl, the redhead from Australia, she was the only woman in NNL last season to complete stage one. Wow. And she did really well going into stage two. Better than some of the guys did. <laughs> so, But she's a former gymnast. I mean, built to do this kind of shenanigans. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see some ninjas that I only know through social media and through the show. I'm excited to connect with ninjas that we already know and have gotten to train with. Um, it's going to be nuts. And there's a lot of fun stuff surrounding that event that's got me a little bit more relaxed and excited rather than, I don't want to do this excited. Like, um, we're going to go visit our friend Uncle Roy that we met during VO Atlanta yep. in 2015. I'm so excited to hang out with him. There's a chance we're going to take the train into New York City to go have lunch. Ooh. It seems like kind of a cluster, but apparently mm. they do it all the time. But That's taking cool. the train seems like, you know, an epic venture That's something Xander will like. He would love that so much. And then on Thursday, we're going to go visit my mom's hometown in Connecticut. Yeah. It's about a half hour drive south of Hartford where the competition's going to be. Oh, and you have uh, taken on a sponsor, kind of. Uh, a cute little... Uh, <laughs> Dachshund, if you want to talk about that. He's a Chihuahua, so he's a Dachshund-Chihuahua mix. Um, His name is Piglet, and he's very special. So there's a thing that happens with breeders where the dapple-colored animal is rare, looks really cool, and people want to buy those. So irresponsible breeders will breed dapples with dapples. Well, I guess something genetically happens where there's a one in four chance that that puppy that's made could be deaf, could be blind, could have some horrible thing wrong with them. And when Piglet was born, he was completely deaf, completely blind, and was bright pink. <laughs> <laughs> like, albino, I guess he's albino. His What you can see of his pupils are black, so I don't know if he's true albino. Yeah. But he had a rough start. 
And I guess when his foster mom and dad picked him up, he was used to being with his litter mates and he would just scream and cry and poor baby. But anyway, they took really good care of him and they, now he's this, he's, he just turned two and he is, he like can adapt. Like if you touch him on a certain spot on his body, he knows what the command is. So he's basically doing like commands by braille. So he knows like if you touch his nose, he'll do this. If you touch like his right shoulder, he'll do this. And he's just so well adjusted and he's so smart and he remembers the smells around him. Like he's adapted in an incredible way. Yeah. And my cousin Jim, who's been on the podcast, he loves this animal. And he was like, have you seen Piglet? And I'm like, no. (laughs) So now, of course, I've seen Piglet and I adore him. And he's like, well, you're only going to be like a half hour drive. Why don't you go visit him? And I was like, oh, that's weird, but okay, let's go visit him. And so I reached out to his parents, to Piglet's parents, and um, she got back to me. And I was like, yeah, come visit. And we were just chatting back and forth about the Piglet mindset. And, like, he's been an ambassador for, you know, spay neutering your pet and, you know, uh, responsible breeding, stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? Piglet's pretty ninja. Like, he's... He's got obvious impairments, yeah. difficulties. He's overcome some incredible challenges. He's highly adaptive, and he's really smart. And, you know, he's energetic, and he makes the best of his situation. I'm like, well, that sounds pretty ninja. So we decided that we were going to basically embrace him into the ninja. I mean, I can't speak for the whole community, of course, but he is very ninja-like, so we decided to make him a ninja. <laughs> and Piglet is the pink Piglet Ninja. Yeah. And, you know, he just embodies courage. He embodies relentlessness. He, adaptability. I mean, he's just, and he's just so darn cute and looks right on a shirt. So um, we're going to visit him and take pictures with him and, and meet his mom and dad and his litter mates. And then um, when we run, I'm going to have a pink Piglet Ninja shirt that I'm going to wear as my ninja running singlet. So, yeah, that's our little buddy, Piglet. Yeah, and you can follow him on Instagram. He has an awesome Instagram. It's uh, Piglet Puppy. Pink Piglet Puppy. Pink, pig, pink mm-hmm. Piglet Puppy. Or if you Google Pink Piglet Pup or Pink Piglet Puppy, you'll get his website, and it has his whole story and how he's interacted with, you know, he's been in, like, the New York Pet Fashion Show, yeah. which was actually recently. I think it was, like, a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And all these different organizations. He's such a good boy. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. Yeah, so he's, um, I don't know if he would be considered a mascot or a symbol or a, a member. I don't, he's just, you know, I guess he's like a, an inspiration Yeah. to, you know, those who, who play in Ninja and then also for anything else challenging that they've got going on in their lives. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Little piglet face. He's so cute. Okay. All right. Halloween news? Halloween. Let's talk about uh, what's coming up. We got Haunt X. Mm-hmm. Um, that's February 23rd and 24th at the Pomona Fairplex. Building 9. Building 9, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, tickets are on sale. Um, if you just want a single day, it's 25 bucks, 35 for the early entry. Uh, weekend pass is 35 so it's only $10 more. And then if you want the early entry on the weekend, it's 45 um, kids under 10 are free, and uh, they had a Friday night haunt tour that was going to go around to a bunch of different haunted houses, and you get to do lights on walks throughs and stuff, but that is sold out, so if you didn't get one, oh well. 
You can hear about it on social media afterwards. Also, yeah. there's a um, like a costume ball or a party on Saturday, which has also sold out. Yes. So basically, all the extracurricular activities, um, they're sold, sold out. But there is some extracurricular activities you can participate in with the Decay Brigade. And Veronica can tell you about that because she was kind of instrumental in setting this whole thing up for the Brigade. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what's what's up with the Brigade and Hunt X? So the Decay Brigade will um, be attending Hunt X on both days. We will have a booth and we will have a special sliding area. And um, this is going to be a little different because this show is not a a fan show it's not a content style show this is a home haunters exposition type show so it's more industry related however it is fan friendly because a lot of us again we like seeing that extra layer the how-to's the making of's etc so this this um expo will give you a lot of that but what we are going to offer are two classes and again they're geared towards home haunters or um smaller haunters and it has to do with equipment. So what to choose for gloves, what to put on your gloves, what, what materials you dig, what kind of pads you want, what you want to do to your shoes, all that technical stuff. And then later in the day, we're going to go to our special show floor and we're going to have a hands-on clinic. So, I mean, anyone, probably if you listen to this, then you know what the Decay Brigade does. Big elaborate tricks, multi-body jumps and overs and unders and bridges and limbos and all that forget all that you can't do that in a home haunt you can't do that on your street so what we're going to present is tricks and and drills and scenarios that will apply to you as a home haunter sliding in your you know on your sidewalk yeah or so on tiny little hallways a lot of uh, close quarter mm-hmm. uh, stuff very close quarters, a lot of like that down and up, just getting the sound, ways to maneuver through very small spaces, other ways that you can use your gear to help you, like sliding up against a wall yeah. or, you know, smacking things around you. There's like using the equipment you have as a slider in more ways than just running in a straight line, hitting the ground on all fours and then standing up because that's really rare when yeah. you're working at a home hunt. So we're going to give you all that stuff that you can take with you. And the people working it from the brigade have done this kind of stuff. So we're not just I mean, speaking theoretically. Like this is this is where the show type stuff came from was yeah. a lot of the tricks, you know, kind of came out of things that would happen on streets or in a maze. And you would be like, wow, like that was like, you know, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then you'd, you'd start building on it and make, make it a trick. But a lot of it just came out of things that just happened by accident yeah. or or by need. like, like Evasive maneuvers. Yeah, like what if some, what if you're sliding and someone fell right in front of you? Well, I guess I got to either crash into them or try to jump them or something. Or you barrel know? roll over them. Or barrel roll over them. And that's kind of how all that stuff started was just, you know, things mm-hmm. happening. So, you know, pulling it back and going all the way back to the beginnings of sliding and how to maneuver in these crowds and stuff is going to be pretty fun i think it'll be helpful also for newer street monsters for the big players like for queen mary or for scary farm because you have like when you're in a maze it's a little bit more controlled directionally once you get down on the streets you have people coming from you from all over so your opportunities are greater but your risks are greater also yeah so it has to do with you know negotiating risks weighing out your different options, and then putting more tools in your tool belt that 
If you started your sliding adventure out at the Chapman rinks, you're not going to have this information and you're going to need that if you want to be an effective slider in an actual, you know, environment. Yeah. So this is your, your chance to get that. So you're not going to see big, long runs and jumps from us. We may do it once or twice, but it's not the point. <laughs> what, we, what we want to do is um, use everybody involved to to be both guest and monster and really, you know, teach them how to negotiate their surroundings and use their gear and and also like the boring stuff, the drills. You have to train your body if you want to do this safely and efficiently. So we'll give yep. you those things as well. But overall, I think the con's going to be a lot of fun. It's there's so much and uh, education. Yeah, these home haunters teaching you all these different cool things. Like I want to attend every single class that I've read about. I love them all, mm-hmm. but we have to work the booth, so we can't go to everything. But it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, and they've arranged it so it's not. I don't feel like it's too much time. It's from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. I think that's a good day. That's enough time for you to see everything you want to see, but you're not there for 14 hours just being exhausted. Yeah, you know. So. Our goal for the Decade Brigade is to teach both Saturday and Sunday, which is a little unorthodox. Usually you teach a class on either day. Um, But because of people only being available to attend one day or another day, and we're going to be there both days, we wanted the opportunity for everyone who came to get to see how to do this kind of stuff. Because everybody asks constantly (laughs) about this information, and we want to give it to you. So... Whatever day you come, please come visit us at the booth. Um, I'll have more information to give to our social media team as I get it, like where our booth location will be and, you know, the exact times of our classes and stuff. So stay tuned for that. But um, just know that we're going to be there. We're going to be walking around. Um, We will not be in makeup, so you can see what we actually look like. I apologize ahead of time. (laughs) But it's going to be a really good time, and we think that you guys should come if you're in the area. What else is new, man? Um, Well... Oh, what, what do we want to talk about? We got we had a uh, oh let's talk about uh, the open slide night. Oh, so that they, was so great. Okay. The 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 Queen Mary kids uh, over there had an open slide night a lot like we did last year, and it was super fun. They did. Um, they're doing a series of boot camps, so it's a little bit more intentional. Like the Decade Brigade was like, let's just go slide. Yeah. But theirs is like, okay, we're actually going to train you, <laughs> which I think is a little bit more responsible. So they're. Um, they have, I think it's going to be every Thursday for some time, they're going to have boot camps. Like six weeks? Something, something like that. I, I didn't know. catch it's an set. end date. Yeah, I didn't catch an end date either. But but what they're doing is they're opening it up to sliders who um, may not have ever done this before or are really green and possibly intimidated by you know that the high caliber of sliders that end up at the rinks to mm-hmm. practice. So this kind of rids rids the newbies of that fear of being judged by everybody else. So kind of, they are off to one side. We split the rink into like three or four different lanes and they're being actively coached and trained and given drills and, and really learning the fundamentals of the sport. Now it's, it, from what I saw, I didn't see much because I got there late, but it looked like it was more, um, just muscle building and like super fundamentals and possibly some training into stunt sliding. Not a lot of that quick, down and up stuff that's going to be more practical in the moment. Yeah. But it's more fun to train for stunt sliding, and it's harder on your body, I feel, the stunt sliding is. So I don't see it as a bad thing, training more in that, because you're using those same muscles 
they'll have the ability to fine tune that with the downs and ups and the the quick movements and the pivots and stuff like that yeah. later down the line. But they looked like they were having so much fun. There were so many people. Yeah, it was good. Tons of people and like and newbies and veterans alike. We had a ton of Decade Brigade members there. We had people from what's the guys that drive all the way from like Modesto or something who come yeah, down here. They were from. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the haunt is, but yeah, either. they drove like six hours to come down. And they came for the uh, for the Decay Brigade one too. Yeah. So that was really cool. We had um, not Field of Screams. What's the one in Thousand Oaks? Reign of Terror. Reign of Terror. We had Reign of Terror people there. We had tons of people show up. Not we. I didn't host it. They did. But yeah. The um, the uh, never mind. I forgot what I was gonna say. I Wait, think that's I that's partially the down like. There is like a downside for the Decade Brigade of being so high caliber that people are intimidated. I know that was brought to my attention and, and it made me feel bad. And so it's it is harder for us to do smaller events like this because people that aren't are new or aren't as good. Like cuz we did it we had a really good turnout when we did our open slide but maybe 50% were actually sliding, and we had a lot of people there just watching. Just watching. And they had a good time, too, but I think they felt maybe that it was like Adult Swim. Yeah. And may have been, you know, a little intimidated. But the going into the event as a, this is boot camp, this is training, this is not about how good you are at any one thing. We're here to condition you and yeah. train you. That is much more open and embracing and welcoming than just a let's go let's go throw down Mm -hmm. even though to us that seems like well we're just gonna go play it's gonna be casual we're just gonna you know we're pushing each other because Mm -hmm. we care and but we just operate on a little bit of a different level than someone who's just coming in and they're not going to want to be pushed like that yeah not going to want to have to you know try things they've never tried before because again when you go big you fail spectacularly (laughs) yep and if you don't know how to fall you could hurt yourself. We had people hurt themselves at our open slide night because they yeah. were pushing, knowing that we were watching. Yeah. And it's hard to draw that line. Like, we want you to do better. We want you to try things you've never tried before. But not everyone has that constitution to do that. <laughs> so I think that this was a great opportunity for people. So th- they're still going on every Thursday. I think they start at 530. I think so, yeah. Um on the Evite, it says it's up. It's till ten. Last time they wrapped at eight. I might be there going. next Thursday. You should. I don't have anything else to do, so I will be in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. There were some, the same dudes that I see all the time, but I only see them at the rink at special occasions. I wouldn't know who they were out on streets because they don't look the same. Yeah. But um, some very talented sliders out there. There are, yeah. Very strong, very controlled. The the um there's a theory that we apply when we train like always keep your core engaged always you know have your 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 strong points so like your shoulder joints and your hip joints are really strong and and engaged and there's you take that into every stunt and it has to do i mean that's like an acrobatic theory and yeah well it's gonna keep you from like flailing about flailing about and potentially popping a shoulder or a hip out of joint yeah just stay, you know, staying you aligned. Have that, and, yeah. Have that 
have it pulled in so that if you do wobble or something, you have the control to try to correct it or roll out of it or whatever. Yeah, it's it's utilizing the muscles in between the muscles, yeah. your balance muscles. But because we are using our hands and arms as legs, it's using those little muscles as well for balance and control and just keeping everything engaged. Not necessarily tight, but engaged. So that theory we take into what we do as, you know, as members of the Decay Brigade doing those kind of stunts. I am starting to see more outside sliders use that approach, take it a little bit more seriously, you know, use their body, you know, still being loose and flexible, but engaged Mm -hmm. and strong. I saw a lot more core strength in the jumps and the limbos and the things like that in the thing that we did on Thursday than I have seen in the past. Yeah. And that was really nice to see you know as you know kind of like den mama watching all these kids slide i like to watch them get better and you know the level of control is higher their jumps are stronger their lands are more centered so you're not landing too heavy on one arm or another you're just preventing injury all over the place yeah makes my heart very warm so i had so much fun i can't wait to do it again i wish that i was gonna miss the thursday one but i will be back for the next thursday yeah and then we have um the Decade Brigade has a show coming up for a school, so none of y'all are invited, but we're going to be there, and it's going to be great. Um, so we're practicing for that as well. Those, uh, the school shows are super fun. They're the best. The kids talk about them for months and months and months. But, you know, again, it's I like to talk about those things, but the general public isn't allowed to attend. So yeah. I don't like to be like, well, we get to do this cool thing, and you can't go, <laughs> you know. But... But basically, I'm just saying that to say that the Decade Brigade is practicing again. And it's only Already. February. <laughs> yeah. Last year, we started in January because we had a, a slide into reading in March. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, what else we got going on? We had a Decade Brigade meeting for the next year, our, our yearly pre-meeting. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Um, yeah. It uh, So what the general fandom and audience sees is the end result of all of this, like, boring kind of you know, structured bullet point type meetings and, like, all of this detangling of all these points. But, like, all of that leads into this epic show and all the audience gets to see is the epic show. Yeah. And we're here like, this is boring because we have to go through, like, all of our duties and the departments that we all have and you know a lot of just administrative house cleaning crap that you have to do when you're performing well, I mean, it's troop. like you know if you're on the board at disney it's like having a ton of disney theme parks i'm sure is a yeah. lot of fun you can go to them anytime you want but you still have to sit in those meetings you still got to put in the work <laughs> and that's uh, it's something that when you're just a bunch of friends farting around and sliding to music you don't have to worry about those things. But yeah. now we're at the level that we are. We do have to worry about those things. And it's not that it's not um, worth it because we need those things. We need to know who's responsible for what. We need to know that we can relax knowing that this thing is going to get done. Yeah, because, I mean, the more organized you are, it, it, it takes pressure off of everybody because yeah. it's like, I just need to focus on this thing. And everybody else has what they need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so I only have this one or two things that I need to do. Yeah. And I'm good. As long as I do what I'm supposed to do, it should be good. As long as everybody else does what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And it's, we, you know, part of 
what we're trying to do internally is learn to rely on each other in that way. You know, it's it's become a very complex machine. Yeah. And with all of these different events and these new stunts, these new obstacles, these new, you know, runway configurations, the lighting and the audio and, you know, the safety and the walkthroughs. And there's just so much, so many moving parts that we rely on everybody in the team to to contribute what they can contribute. And part of, of the whole organizing who is doing what was just letting people decide what they're good at and what they yeah. want to do and letting them do that, like not forcing someone to do something they don't want to do because then it's not fun. And like, what's the freaking point at that point? So it seems that everyone who's involved is doing what they want to do or what they do for their day job. I mean, our build team is a build crew. Yeah. So it's like not too not too big of a jump from what they're really good at and what they do every day to what they're going to do for us. And that's awesome. You know, same thing with like music production and choreography and things like that. So, and you know, even treasury and administration and sales. Yeah. We have a sales team. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we? But lots of um, big stuff coming for the Decay Brigade. Uh, as a business, as a member of the community, as a performance troupe, and just as a group of people trying to do fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good meeting. And there was pizza. Pizza's always good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I haven't, have we recorded since I did that stupid Whole30? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you want to talk? cover that real quick? Sure, we can talk about Whole30. If you don't know what Whole30 is, it's a bitch. It's terrible. No, <laughs> all right. I can't shit talk on the Whole30. So Whole30 is a dietary reset that helps your body determine what foods treat you nicely and what foods uh, do you dirty. So you eliminate grains, dairy, alcohol, legumes, added sugars, nitrates, uh, and any, basically any processed crap. Yeah. And this includes stuff that like technically is compliant but still deviates from the idea like we made stevia cookies and like all sorts of stuff with monk fruit and like stuff that wasn't actual sugar those are off the table as well because part of this is getting your brain to not be addicted to the sugar and the sweet and like using that as motivation and yada yada so for a month basically our household was whole 30 because i had to cook everything Every single thing, every meal, I had to prepare because if I go to a restaurant, they're going to add butter or they're going to add little hints of sugar or they're going to put cake batter inside the scrambled eggs. Mm. I hop. I didn't know they did that. Yeah. Mm, It's delicious. delicious. (laughs) And it was weird and... Because we were already keto, most of that stuff wasn't in our diet anyway. Yeah, it wasn't a huge stretch, but there was... I think, yeah, there was a few things that it was like, wait, what? (laughs) It was a little weird. Cooking with ghee instead of butter. I was like, okay, fine. It's still... It's just butter different. It's butter 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But there were a few things that came out of it, like zoodles. Like, I would have never... I would have never tried zucchini spaghetti, but you know what? It's pretty freaking delicious. Even Xander liked it. Yeah. We came up with some ingredient or some uh, recipes that not only were... You know, easy to make, but so good, so freaking delicious that we just made them over and over again. Yeah. Where, you know, we were looking forward to dinner instead of like, ugh, we're going to have that again. 
there was a fair share of that, especially for breakfast for me. Because I, in the morning, I don't want to cook anything. Yeah. So I was borderline compliant are these things called RX bars or Larga bars. And they're made out of fruit and nuts. And it's naturally sweet and could trigger your, your sugar dragon if you're not careful. But if you use them properly, it's, it's nutrients in your body. That's all yeah. you're going for. So I relied on those pretty heavily. The apple and almond butter, same kind of thing, technically compliant. It's real food, but it's really sweet and kind of tastes like a candy bar. And if you overdo it, then you're just rewarding your brain with sugar instead of turning to other sources for nutrients and and for reward. You know, a lot of times we use food as a reward. So that's the whole point of Whole30. And I did it full on, no screw-ups that I know of. From day one to day 30, even on day 31, I was technically Whole30 compliant because I didn't know what else to eat. <laughs> yeah, by that point, it's just like, uh, I guess this is what we're eating. And there's a fear that apparently everybody goes through this where you feel so good after eating like that for a month. Uh-huh. You're afraid to add anything back in, even stuff that you know was fine for you before. What if you loved having string cheese and suddenly after 30 days you introduce it back and you look four months pregnant because you're so gassy. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's it. My, one of my favorite foods is out forever. And so you don't even want to reintroduce it because you're afraid of what it might do to you. Mm-hmm. But there's there's this whole other philosophy that they go through. And I'm kind of on board and kind of not. It's it's like a food freedom thing. I don't know. It gets a little... a little Religious-y? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I dig it, but it's maybe more than I want to think about. Yeah. But... um. I highly recommend it if you can tolerate that drastic of a change for yourself for a month. Because I feel I my gains went up, so more pull-ups, more push-ups, um, you know, more muscle where I wanted muscle. You know, my waist got smaller, my skin got clearer, my hair and nails were growing better. Like all the stuff that you want out of, you know, a miracle diet, I got it. Yeah. So, hell yeah. So, um, and it worked for me too because I was able to do way more pull ups and stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it kind of ties into everything else that we do with the ninja stuff and with Decade Brigade. There's, there's more to it than you see on the surface. Yeah. And one of those facets that we were working on was the food that we put in our body that becomes our body. So it made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, so good. at the end, Whole30, hooray! It's We're pretty much off the wagon now because I'm leaving for the trip and I'm not prepared in any way to, you know... Eat that way on the road. It is really difficult yeah. to be Whole30 while you're traveling. Not impossible, you know, the right person could probably do it, but with a child in tow and traveling by car almost every day that we're away, I'm just going to do my best to yeah. just not eat sugar and yeah, grains. Yeah, that's a good... Enough a good uh idea basically just keto (laughs) everything's back to keto so yeah i don't think i have anything else going on what about you um well i'm still looking for other jobs yeah you know it is what it is yeah but you found a line of work that seems to seems to really (laughs) um speak to the things that you're good at and that you want to do yeah and it's just finding those jobs have you talked about that? No. But we'll talk about it if I get a job. Oh, okay. So there you go. Um, I'm just saying, you never know who's listening. There might be somebody out there who can connect to you. 
Yeah. We're looking for, well, I'm pretty much, I'm looking for production work. So, um, kind of along the lines of like rigging and lighting and audio visual stuff for theatrical events or concerts or arena events, things like that. Um, you have a huge advantage not being afraid of heights. Yeah. That helps. That <laughs> also probably. helps in Ninja. So there you go. Yeah. At least for the TV show. <laughs> have you, did you talk to anybody about being a, like a resetter or working on the actual? Yeah. I, I sent stuff. So we'll see what comes of that. Mm. Um, so I guess our main story today is uh, I've been following this story for something like two or three years and then like the full story finally came out and I found it really interesting so I figured I would share it with you guys um did did a haunted mirror cause the DC film universe its uh troubles wait, wait, okay did you're asking a question yeah. did a haunted mirror cause the DC universe the, all the films and things that they were creating. The the box office Issue. troubles yeah. that it had. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, there's something behind that. <laughs> <laughs> so why would a mirror be behind DC films flopping in the box office? All right, so this is a really weird and interesting story. So we had them sign at our booth, but you guys, so if you came to Midsummer Scream last year, Bizarre States was there at our booth signing. So I'm going to call them our friends at Bizarre States. Really cool people. Um, They have been doing their podcast for not much longer than we have, maybe like a year or two earlier. Um, And somewhere in there, I don't remember what episode it is, but somebody wrote into them and was like, hey, I have this haunted mirror. It's really screwing with my life. Do you want it? And then they were just like, hell yeah, we want a haunted mirror. That's awesome. And so they, suddenly the haunted mirror arrived in the mail at the Nerdist offices. It's a miracle that the mirror didn't break. I know, right? And apparently it's like, you know, decent size. It's not like a small little like handhold. It's like a wall mirror. Um, So they got it and they didn't have their own recording studio or their own space like they do now because now Bizarre States has a TV show and like all this stuff. So they have like their own studio that they decorate and is theirs. But back then they didn't. So they're like, where are we going to put this mirror? Because we want to find out if it's real. Like, does this thing actually haunt it? And so obviously they decided they wanted to find a skeptic, someone who didn't believe that this thing was haunted because they didn't want like someone just be like, oh yeah, it was haunted. It was crazy because yeah. they believe in it. So one of the VPs at Nerdist was like, put it in mine. I don't believe in this shit. Like, <laughs> so they put it in his office and within two weeks, he called them and was like, get it the fuck out of my office. Oh my gosh. Within two weeks of it being in his office, he lost out on two major jobs that he thought should have been like completely locked in and was like, he was doing them. Uh, his girlfriend broke up with him out of the blue and like I believe like his car engine blew up or something all oh within God. a two-week space that this mirror was in his office that is ridiculous so then they were just like okay now what are we going to do with the mirror like no one in the office wanted it after that because he was telling everybody all the shit that happened the skeptic know. was telling him this yeah and they're just like no 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 you're not putting that in my 
obvious like so they're like okay we need to find somebody that'll take it and they had a friend who does uh like paranormal research and stuff he goes ghost hunting with like an la ghost hunting crew and all this stuff he just also happens to work at dc and he worked in um in the the part of dc that was doing the film universe so that he was working i don't know if he was a writer or what his position was but they finally had him and also like a higher up person talking about what happened when they got the mirror at the DC offices. <laughs> so he puts it up in his office at the DC, you know, film offices. The writer? Yeah. Well, I can't remember what his job was, but he worked in that realm with the films and, and what they were doing and the universe they were creating and all the movies and stuff like that. Um, and... So apparently shit just started going downhill from day one for the office. Like, I guess they had like a major person quit. That was like a integral part of this thing. They like had all kinds of issues uh, on set and with directors and writers and things like going crazy. Um, and so that went on for like a while and they had fl- like compared to Universal, or, or to Marvel, they had, mm-hmm. like, flop after flop. But, I mean, their movies are still doing okay. Mm-hmm. But they weren't doing... They weren't performing what they thought they should be based on what they were spending on these films. Right. So, fast forward, they finally were like, "We, you guys need to take the mirror back. And so, Jess and... and uh, they, they take the mirror back to the Nerdist offices. And the very first movie that hit the box office after the mirror left was Wonder Woman, <laughs> which was their highest grossing film ever. Uh, and then Aquaman apparently is also on track to do extremely well. So did the haunted mirror cause all those issues with the DC universe? Wow. That is amazing. Well, I... Second to that. Not only did, did that happen and Wonder Woman do awesome, right after the mirror came back was when all that shit happened with Chris Hardwick. <gasps> so, and he was basically kicked out of Nerdist. No! Yes. Yes. So all that shit happened right after the mirror came back into the Nerdist offices. Now, I will say that Jess and, and Bowser said that they took the mirror, they had it, like, they, they covered it up. They did, like, this whole thing. Like, they had a blessed, basically. <laughs> but they did this whole ritual with the mirror that with somebody that knows how to do that kind of thing. And then they, they, they boxed it up. And they put it with, like, certain things that are supposed to kind of keep whatever's in there at bay. And then they threw it away. I was going to say, is it in the warehouse with the Holy Grail? <laughs> no, they, they, they threw it away. Like, like, in a dumpster, away, yeah. away, away. Yep, like, it's gone, gone now. So... <sighs> Dude. So what's up with that? I don't like, know. But was like, that mirror really haunted? That's crazy. I was like kind of like lovingly disassociated with it until you mentioned the Chris Hardwick thing. And then I got deeply offended. <laughs> I was like, that thing's got to go. <laughs> Burn it. But everybody that came in contact with that thing was just had like a shit show. Like it's coincidental. Of course, but, but it's hard not to just find total fascination in that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just poetic. Wow. Oh, my God. I'm glad it's far away. Like, I, you know me. I'm 
pretty skeptical, and I mm-hmm. would be like, get that thing away from me. Yeah. Do, do not. Uh-uh. Now, do they know if it was anyone who, like, looked in it or at it or, like, anything that, like, some other layer that could have been put on top of it? Like, it didn't affect you unless you looked at it or you saw the reflection of something in it or something? That I don't know. Now, they did get also a, uh, what's called a black mirror, a scrying mirror. I don't know if you guys, if you've ever heard of that. Mm-mm. It's actually like a black obsidian mirror. Ooh. Like it actually is black, not just called black because there's black magic. But basically they got this mirror that, that was supposed to, if you looked into it, would show you how you're going to die. Hmm. And there's people that say it does. They didn't have any luck with it. Um, but they just had it for a couple of weeks uh, as for fun. And then they sent it back to its owner. <laughs> Okay. I but, mean, that's kind of weird information to have. But, I mean, but... that's a cool thing, like an actual legit black mirror. Yeah. Like, that's it has to be really pretty. I bet it's gorgeous. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's fun. That's something. So, I mean, as far as the Nerdist people are, con- are concerned, has anything improved or gotten any better? Like, I know Chris is kind of getting his reputation back, but he's still completely severed from Nerdist. Yeah. So has, has there been anything else that's improved since the mirror went away? Um, well, it seems like Nerdist is doing good. They seem to be doing good. Yeah. Bizarre States are getting another season of their TV show. Well, I, do you so, call it a TV show? Web series? I don't know. They're, they're trying to sell it to a network. That's like, cool. I know Talking Tunes is doing great. Yeah. They've got their, their DC TV. seems to be doing good. They have that Joker movie coming out with Joaquin Phoenix. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the test to see, is it the mirror or was it just, you know? Yeah. Well, the thing is, there's not much out about that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's based on what I was talking about to you, I think it could be a really cool concept. Yeah. Um, because there's this comic out there. Uh, I can't remember what the name of it was. But basically, it's, it's not... The Joker as you know him from the Batman series, the whole concept of this comic, it was like a one-off comic, but that there's a little Joker in all of us. and Oh, it was called One Bad Day. Mm. And, uh, and anybody can become the Joker if you have a bad enough day. And so that was the whole concept of, of that comic book. And I think that's what the, where they're going with the Walking Phoenix thing is. He won't be the real Joker He's this guy who just has this crazy, horrible day, and he just ends up going just crazy. Loses his shit. Yeah. Oh, well, isn't that the concept of the Joker, where he's not supposed to be the same person? He's like reincarnations. There's been, re- yeah, different different Jokers throughout the comic series. Yeah. Um, but they've never really pursued that in the film. It's always been the same Joker. Hmm. So. Well, Joaquin Phoenix is great, so hopefully it's something that we like. Yeah. And something that the general public likes and is willing to spend money on so we don't get the curse back. <laughs> yeah. Good I, stuff, man. I think that's it. Is there anything else going on? No. Um, we're coming up on the year anniversary of Kevin Smith almost dying. So if he won't, he doesn't listen to this, but if anyone knows him, tell him, hey, man, glad you're with us. Yeah. That was scary. Or you could just tell him on Twitter. I could. On Everyone. Almost death anniversary. Almost death anniversary. Yeah. Was it the twenty third? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. I think that's it. Cool. 
Well, mm-hmm. uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tales from the Fog. You can follow Veronica on Instagram at Veronica Voices. And there might be some cool ninja stuff on there coming up this week. Yeah, I'll try to keep a um, vlog or something. Uh, you can follow Decay Brigade on YouTube at Decay Brigade Official and also Facebook and Instagram. YouTube is kind of in a holding pattern. We've had some issues with uh, YouTube and their new copyright infringement shenanigans. Ugh. So part of our meeting was talking about how we're going to utilize YouTube now that we can't really put our full shows up. Uh, rate us on iTunes, because oh, why yeah. not? Um, it makes us searchable, right? Yeah, people will find us easier. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, man. I cool. hope you have fun while I'm gone. Yeah, I'm going to be living the bachelor life, so All me, that and, bachelor me and the puppies. Yeah, puppies are going to be in a, a state of confusion. Yeah. For things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Um, okay. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's something else, and I can't process it, but whatever. I don't know. All right, guys, until next time, we'll see you in the fog. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.